there's a new text feature that we have set up. So if you want to get in touch with me, include your either social media handle or email so I can get back to you. Enjoy the episode. Paul Rosenblum is a bookkeeper, not an accountant or a CPA. Although the information comes from accounting professionals, the information in this podcast is meant to give you enough good information to have a conversation and dialogue with your tax professional about subjects discussed on this podcast. Thank you for tuning in and listening to episode six of this podcast series. My name is Paul Rosenblum. Today, I want to continue talking about the subject of W-2 and 1099 subcontractors or subcontracted services. So today's episode is more of a deep dive and a kind of a part two of last week's episode. I'm recording a part two to the subject because some people have written in and requested that I do a more in-depth rundown of the 1099 rules and regulations. Since this is an ongoing conversation that I have with many of my clients, not just during tax season, but all 12 months a year, I was going to go into more depth anyway. I know that you can search the internet for this information, but there is a checklist that's worth going over point by point. There are 20 bullet points that I want to cover today. Some of them are self-explanatory, so although this episode could be six hours long, I promise it will not be. Let me first say that these are guidelines. They are not ironclad point by point. If the status of an individual goes to labor court, for an example, they look at all of these 20 bullets and then make a decision on the status of the worker using all 20 factors that we will talk about today. If any of these answers are yes, then the individual in question would be leaning toward a W-2 employee status. Number one, must the individual take instructions from your management staff regarding when, where, and how the work is to be done. This is pretty self-explanatory, but in simple terms, if you are giving instructions to the worker to the way you want the work done, then right there, that leans toward a W-2 status. However, the key word here is must. Number two, does the individual receive training from your company? This would either be an in-company training class or a third-party training class or a training manual of any kind. Number three, is the success or continuation of your business somewhat dependent on the type of services provided by the individual? This is a little bit ambiguous, but to put it simply, if the person who you hire to perform their specific services is required to make your business successful, then again, it leans toward a W-2 status. 
In other words, if you hire a person to perform a service and that person is the only person who is performing that specific task that is essential to your business, then the status of that person would lean toward a W-2 employee. If you already have an employee performing that task and you want to hire a second person to do the same task for a particular amount of time on a contract basis, then a subcontractor is safer. Must the individual personally perform the contracted service? This basically means that if you hire a person who is the only person who can perform that particular service and no one else in their company can do what you hire them to do, then again, it sways toward a W-2 status. One of the exceptions to this and other rules is a bookkeeper or an accountant or a CPA. A lot of CPAs, accountants, and bookkeepers are one-person operations, sole proprietorships. So, of course, you can, if you hire them, they are the only person at their company who can perform that particular contracted service. Number five, have you hired, supervised, or paid individuals to assist the worker in completing the project in the contract? This means that if you hire someone as a subcontractor and then you hire or already have an employee who helps or supervises this person performing that service, then again, that situation would lean toward a W-2 status and not subcontracted services. Number six, is there a continuing relationship between your company and the individual? Again, a little ambiguous here, but bookkeepers and accountants and CPAs are a definite exception. But generally, if you hire a subcontractor, it's for a specific purpose for a specific amount of time, usually in the form of a written contract. Number seven, must the individual worker have set hours? The key word here is must. If you hire a subcontractor, only they can make a schedule for themselves. But you, as someone who have hired them, really shouldn't and really cannot. They are independent, hence the term independent contractor or subcontractors. Number eight, is the individual required to work full time at your company? Now, you would think that this would be pretty self-explanatory, but it really isn't. Full-time people are generally W-2 employees, but there are exceptions. One of the exceptions might be a six-month contracted IT person for your company to come in and set up and fix and upgrade 250 computers over a period of the six-month contract. If the subcontractor determines that to fulfill that contract, they would need to work eight hours a day or seven hours a day, 35 to 40 hours a week, which is really full time, it's determined by the subcontractor, not by your company. So that would be one of the exceptions that the subcontractor could still be paid as a 1099 non-employee rather than a W-2 employee. Number nine, is the work performed 
on your company preferences. Again, self-explanatory, but there are exceptions. If the work is performed at your office or on your premises, then the contractor needs to bring his or her own tools, their own computer, and any assistants or people uh, who are going to be working with that subcontractor. They are responsible for everything. So if we go back to that IT person, the IT person would have to bring their own equipment, screwdrivers and everything else that they need to fix computers. Parts for the computers, all of that have nothing to do with your company. You just pay that person for whatever the amount is in that six-month contract. Number 10, is the individual required to follow a set sequence or a set routine in the performance of his or her work? Again, the key word here is required. So if they, if you are requiring a person to follow a set sequence or routine that's made by your company, in other words, job duties, then that would be a W-2 employee. Number 11, must the individual give you reports regarding his or her work? Again, the key word here is must. I give reports to all of my clients at the end of each month in terms of balance sheets and profit and loss, but do I really have to? I should, it certainly makes sense, but I don't really have to. Some clients request reports, and I always offer reports before most clients' requests, but again, it's not a must. If a contractor has to report about how the project is going, or if it's on schedule or not, then that person should be a W-2 employee. Number 12, does the individual get paid by the hour, week, or month? Generally, if the answer is yes, it leans toward a W-2 employee status. However, lots of exceptions to this. Once again, bookkeepers and accountants. I have clients on retainers and I have an hourly fee, but I bill just once per month. The idea here is that if a subcontractor is hired for a specific service for a specific amount of time, buy a contract with an ending date, then that contractor can bill by the wording that's in the contract. If the contract says before you start, there's a one-third payment that's due, and in the middle of the contract, you pay the second of three payments, and at the end of the contract, the company would pay the third of three payments then you're not billing by the hour, week, or month, and you're on the right side of a 1099 subcontracted experience. Number 13, do you reimburse the individual for general business or travel expenses? That is an important one in terms of 1099 or W-2 status. As a subcontractor, you should not be reimbursed specifically for car expenses, subway or train expenses, or tolls. The subcontractor would invoice you and your company and include those fees in the total amount of what they bill you, 
with no specific line items as reimbursements. W-2 employees should only get reimbursements through payroll so that the reimbursements are considered income but not taxable income to the employee. One of the exceptions to this would be if you hire a contractor and they had to go out and buy a part for your PC in order to fix it, or they had to buy a network router or a network modem out of their own money, and then you're reimbursing them for that part, then that's different than being reimbursed for the contractor's general business or travel expenses. So that's a tricky one. You might want to just have a conversation about your uh, about this with your accountant or CPA or with maybe even your bookkeeper. Number 14, do you supply the individual with tools or materials? Now, we covered this earlier, but the subcontractor should bring his or her tools, materials, computer, pens, pencils, and any other tools of their trade. They should not be using anything of yours except maybe a surface or a desk to put their computer and to put their tools on. Number 15, have you made a significant investment in facilities used by the individual to perform their services? Basically, what this means is you are not allowed to build an office, for an example, for a subcontractor to work in. If you build a brand new computer tech repair room and then you hire someone for a contracted service, then that would be an exception. Number 16, is the individual free from suffering loss or realizing a profit based on the subcontracted work? Basically, this means you cannot share any kind of profit or loss that your company would make or lose that has to do with the subcontractor or the subcontracted service. Employees can get profit sharing. Subcontractors can't. 17. Does the individual only perform services for your company? Again, it's a little bit ambiguous, but here are the rules for subcontracted services. All subcontractors need three things. Number one, a website, which will be to advertise for their services. Two, business cards. And three, invoices when they bill you with their name and address of the company on them. If they have all of that and they only work for you, then that's okay since they are, in theory, looking for other subcontracted work. If your company is ever audited, the auditor will ask, and I know this from firsthand experience, for your subcontractor's business cards, website address or addresses, invoices that they sent to you, and sometimes even business certificates from when they first created their business. 18. Does the individual limit the availability of his or her services to the general public? If yes, then that would lean toward a W-2 relationship. In other words, if someone is working for you as a subcontractor, 20 hours a week, roughly, and you go to their website and they're advertising for his or her services for only 20 hours a week availability, 
then that would be arguable that your relationship with that contractor should be a W-2 relationship and not a subcontractor 1099 relationship. 19. Do you have the right to discharge the individual? Now, the word discharge is connected to a W-2 employee job situation that's connected to the State Labor Commission. If you have a subcontractor with a specific contract or agreement with you and there is a breach of contract or a breach of that agreement, then you can sue the subcontractor and end the contract in that way. But technically, you really can't fire a subcontractor. And the last one, number 20, can the individual terminate his or her own services at any time? If the answer is yes, then that is a W-2 employee relationship, or at least it sways that way. However, in reality, many subcontractors don't have written contracts with the company who pays them. So as a bookkeeper, can I walk away from a client whenever I want? Sure, I can if I don't have a contract or an engagement letter signed by the client and myself. But if I did that, it really isn't a good reputation to have to be in the middle of the month with half the books done and walk away with no notice. So I've never done that and I never will. But can I? Sure, I could as a contractor who may not have a contract or a written agreement with the client. There are exceptions to many of these bullet points. Set designers, for an example, hire subcontractors for each job that they have. They have specific rules when the subcontractor is on set. Rules like cell phones have to be fully charged at the beginning of each day and sneakers must be worn so that walking on the set will be quieter than shoes if they're shooting a scene. But the industry of set designers overall hires subcontractors and not employees. The assistants come and go and work for several different set designers. Another example would be landscaping companies. Since there are many projects that have a beginning and an ending date, Hiring an individual and paying them as a subcontractor or as needed makes sense. If, however, the company needed a gardener 35 hours a week to maintain properties, then it would be a better idea to hire them as a part-time W-2 employee since it would be an ongoing relationship. An event management company is another example. If a company is hiring for an event that lasts just seven days, even if they have set days and set schedules for the individuals who they are hiring, since the event has a beginning and an ending date, there is no need to hire the individual as a W-2 employee just for the five or the seven days. However, if your company is in one state and the event is in another state, you should make yourself familiar with that state's labor laws to cover yourself. In any case, you have to be very careful not to have sign-in sheets or phone apps that your subcontractors would need to, quote, sign in at the beginning of their day for each day of the event.
This is a very complicated issue, but using these guidelines should help on classifying an individual as either a subcontractor or an employee. If there's a real dilemma on what status an individual should have, W-2 or subcontractor, I would always err on the safer side by classifying that individual as a W-2 employee, even though it'll cost your company a little bit more money in payroll taxes and other fees just to cover yourself and hopefully help you sleep better at night. I hope this helps simplify a very tough subject in taxes, accounting, and bookkeeping that I discuss with clients all 12 months a year. As always, please comment at either bookkeepermensch at gmail.com or numerex at numerexonline.com. That's N-U-M-E-R-E-X, numerex, at numerexonline.com. Hope to hear from you soon. Until next time, my name is Paul Rosenblum.